was wondering, do you guys ever turn on the TV or a movie or you come into the middle and all of a sudden you're in the middle of a movie, you haven't been watching the first part and you have no idea what's going on? Or how about this, you're, you're talking to a friend and they're sharing with you about some conflict that they've had, you know, it's usually some problem, and then later on you find out that there's more to the issue than what they shared? Or how about this, you're talking to your friend, or maybe it's a spouse, I don't know. They've been talking for about 15 minutes, and then they say, well, what do you think? And you realize maybe for the first time that you haven't been paying attention. In each and every one of those examples, there's just the reality that you need more to the story. There's actually a guy, when I was little, named Paul Harvey, made, literally made a career off that line, that there's more to this story. And he would always finish up his little bits with that. And, and he, I mean, everybody knew him, and it was just a, a fun guy to listen to. But tonight, I, I wanted to kind of do something a little different. I think the challenge for pastors sometimes when they give sermons on Christmas Eve is, is coming up with something new, right? So tonight, I'm going to try to do something a little different, but I hope at the end of it, it gives you more to this Christmas story than that, what you're working with. Because I think there's a, a danger, especially in our culture today, when we think of Christmas, and you start saying, well, you know, the true reason for the season, most of the time they come up with Jesus, but they're not really sure why Jesus is so amazing and why Jesus is so cool and why him coming is such a big deal. So to do that, I want to kind of do something in this sense. Every time you turn on a, a, a movie, every time you read a story, um, there's different acts to it. There's different plays. I want you to think of the, the whole biblical narrative as kind of a play that God shares with us. And there's different acts in it. And for sake of tonight, there's going to be acts one, two, and three. And so how many times have you gone to a movie where the, the kind of the theme goes something like this? Boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, right? I mean, literally, there's been thousands of movies made on this one theme alone. In the same way, the story of history has its ups and downs as well. It has these highs and the lows. There's different acts to it. There's different drama along the way. And so tonight, I want to take a look then at the rest of the story. And so for act one, you have to go way back in the Bible, back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, which explains the reason why God created the world and what he did it for. Scripture actually says it this way at the very beginning. It says, this is the story of it, how it all started in heaven and on earth and when they were created. And so how did it start? And how did it move forward? That's what I want to take a look at tonight. Act one is simply this then. God made us to love us. And if you look at the studies that are going on in our world today, there's increased loneliness, there's increased separation from family as people move all over the country. There's a, an increased estrangement as more people find their friends on social media, and yet when things get hard, they, at least according to the studies, those same friends seem to evaporate. So loneliness is increasing and depression is increasing, and finding people that actually care about you in this world is decreasing at an alarming rate. And so when you understand that the whole reason God made the earth was to love you, it should give you a sense of hope. And truth be told, that's ultimately why everything exists in our world today. The Bible says this, that God is love. Not that he has love, but that he is love. It's in his nature. It's in his very character. The Bible tells us that everything in the universe was created for God to love. It was created as an expression of his love. So everything beautiful and good in this world so when you see a sunrise or a sunset, when you see the rainbow, when you see the rivers and the streams and the flowers and the trees, when you see surf and sand and snow, it was all created by God to express his love. And mankind was the ultimate expression of that love. In fact, the Bible says this, that God made you to love you. 
that the reason that you are here, alive right now, with your heart beating, sitting in the seats that you are, taking that very next breath, is because you were made by God to be loved by him. That you wouldn't exist right now unless God created you to love you. So you're an object of God's love from the very beginning. And that God thought you up, you up just so that he could love you, and that you could be part of his family. If all those studies are true and the interconnectedness that we're experiencing is diminishing, that connection to a God that loves us should be a big deal. It's finally somebody that we can say cares about us. It's somebody that we can say loves us no matter what. It's somebody that's there for us all the time. The Bible says it this way in Ephesians 1. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, God had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love. In other words, even before God planned the universe, he thought of you. In fact, if you read the Bible, it says that God created the entire universe just so that he could create our planet, just so that he could create the human race, just so that he could create you, so that he could love you. And so act one in the story of history is that God made the whole world in order just to love it. And he especially made you. And so it's always kind of been an amazing thing to me that in all creation, the only thing that can reject God's love is us, you and me. We're the only thing in all creation that does not respond to God's love automatically. And you start wondering, why is that? And it's because God, in order to give us the opportunity to truly love him in response for everything that he's done for us, gave us a choice. In other words, he didn't want us to be forced to love him. He wanted us to be free to freely love him in response. And so he gave us a choice either to love God and obey God and seek God, or he gave us the ability, this opportunity to reject him. And he did it because he wanted us to have the freedom again to freely love him, and that just leads to act two. Act two is we walked away from God's love. This is the bad part of the story. This is where boy loses girl, where we walked away from God's love, and I've done it, and you've done it, and everybody's done it many, many times. Truth be told, we probably do it on a daily basis. We walk away from God's love. In the very first couple, Adam and Eve, they did it initially. And I I have to admit to you, I've read that story, I don't know how many times at this point in my ministry, and I'm always just a little confounded at how it went wrong. I mean, think about this. You're in the perfect paradise. You've got no stress. You've got no interruptions. You've got no painful memories. You've got no dysfunctional family, no in-laws, no kids, no clothes. How do you mess that up? But they did. God says, I love them so much, and I want you guys to love me too. Not because you're forced to, but because because you want to. And so he said to Adam and Eve, he says, I love you guys, and I want you to love me freely in response, and so I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible, but I'm going to put this one little tree in the middle of this garden. Hear me say, you can play with any of the trees in the garden. You can make forts in any of them that you want to. You can eat any of the fruit in the whole garden, just this one tree, just this one tree, Please don't eat the fruit. And in putting that one tree in the middle of the garden and telling them that they just, that that was just off limits, they gave them this ability to say, God, we don't love you. God, we want to go the other way. He gave them a choice if they wanted to take it to not love God. The Bible tells it like this. One day Satan comes up and he says, hey, Eve, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice Satan's already got it wrong on purpose. He says, did God say you can't eat from any tree? No, God hadn't said that. He said that you can eat from all of them. There was just one tree that you couldn't eat from. 
but Eve gets it right to her, to her to, in a way to commend her. Satan intentionally is trying to get it wrong to confuse her. But Eve says, no, we're not allowed to eat from, no, we're allowed to eat from any of the trees, except God said, you must not eat from the one tree in the middle of the garden. But then Eve adds this. She adds, and you must not touch it or you'll die. God had said, if you eat the fruit, you'll be spiritually separated from him. He did say that. But he never said not to touch it. She's making up her own words. Maybe Adam told it to her to keep her away from the tree. I don't know. But she's adding on to what God said. And human beings have been doing that literally ever since. But God didn't say that she couldn't touch it. You could play in it. You could jump on it. You could build a fort in it. God says, but you just don't eat the fruit. But she says, not only can we not eat it, we can't even touch it. So she's starting to get confused. Then the devil sees an opportunity and he flat out lies to her and says, you won't die. He probably even picks up the fruit in his hand and China kind of starts playing catch with it, showing her that he's touching the fruit and he's not dying. Satan says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll become just like God. And so what is Eve's response? Then Eve saw the fruit look delicious and pleasurable and she desired what it could give her. So she took it and she ate it and she gave it also to her husband and the world has never been the same since. This story, the first story of how people walked away from God is so important to understanding Christmas because this is the bad part of the play. Boy loses girl. It's the bad part of the play. Adam and Eve and later all of us have taken the same path again and again And it always seems to start with us questioning God's very love. The whole reason he created us in the first place, it starts with us questioning and not believing that. And as a result, his commands and his paths and his ways, and almost always because something in our life hasn't gone according to plan, almost always because something has happened in our life that we choose, I don't know if I believe that anymore. I think I know a better way. All the while forgetting that he shared those commands and those ways and those words because he loves us because he wants what's best for us. And when we take those questioning moments and they turn into doubts about God's love, and in arrogance we decide that perhaps we know better and about the things and about this life that God has created than he does. And so we set our own way forward. And then when confronted over what we have done and the direction that we have gone, almost an inexplicable hostility, we get mad at even the God who loves us, all because he called us to return. And here's the thing, we've all done this over and over and over again. Why? I mean, why is it that we walk away from this God who loves us, who created us, who has purpose for our lives? And you need to know this. Because if you ever wondered, why does my life get so messed up? This is why. Have you ever wondered why you don't feel close to God at some times? This is why. Have you ever wondered why our world is so messed up right now? This is why. And the reality is that since God is light, every time I walk away from God, the further I get away from his light, the darker and more confusing life begins, becomes. So what happens? What happens if our whole culture starts pursuing this dark? Scripture tells us. It says, because you are in darkness, all the foundations of society are shaken to the core, and that's bad news. God made us to love us. But we walked away. That's part two. But part three is Christmas. And the thing I love about Christmas is that Christmas happens at the darkest points in our life. And if you live here in America, right, in the Northern Hemisphere, Christmas occurs at the darkest part of every single year, the darkest week of every single year. Have you ever noticed that? 
That Christmas comes very literally in the middle of our darkness. That's why we put up lights all over Christmas, I'm convinced, right? Because it's always dark. Because we want to testify that Christmas is here. That the light has come. And Christmas lights up the world because it reminds us that Jesus is the light of the world. That he came to rescue us, to save us, and to bring us back to him. And that's really what Christmas is all about if you start looking at it. That's why you've got to know the rest of the story. Act three is we have God sending his son Jesus to us to woo us back to him. And the reality is that God still, even today, isn't going to force us to love him. still your choice. But he sent his son Jesus to woo you back with his love. And so if you don't get anything else I say tonight, I want you guys to get this. That you matter to God. That he loves you so much and he wants you back. You walked away and you did your own thing. There's lots of things you've done without God's input in your life. But he says, I don't care what you've done. I still love you and I want you back. And so he sent us, Jesus, to this earth to provide a way. He came in human form so that we could know what God was like, so that we could hear the words, I love you and I want you back. The Bible says in 1 John 4, this is how God showed us his love. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we could have life through him. He comes after you to win you back. Remember in Act 2, we lose our way. We get a little lost. In Act 3, God sends out the rescue party. Jesus said this, I have come to find and restore what was lost. That's you and me. And that's what Christmas is all about. One of the most famous verses in Scripture is John 3, 16, and it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, in response to our walking away, God sends us Jesus. And you might ask him that, well, why in the world would he do that? I mean, I get that he loves us, but why would he send his son to die? And the answer is to provide a way back. Because of our rebellion, because of our rejection of him, somebody had to pay the price for all the things we had done wrong. God is a loving God, absolutely, but he's a just God, and he demands payment for our sin. And either I was going to pay that, or you were going to pay that, or somebody was going to pay that. But because God loves us, he looked down and he says, you know what? I'll do it myself. I'll, I'll pay for it. Know that if there had been any other way for you to get to heaven other than God coming in the way he did, coming through Jesus to give up his life for us, for you, he would have done it. God wouldn't have wasted his time. He wouldn't have wasted the pain, but there wasn't another way. So he sent us Jesus because he loves you. As a result, Christmas, even today, is the most celebrated event in the world. Even today, billions and billions of people all across the globe celebrate Christmas. Nothing even comes close. Why? Because God was in Christ offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world. And that's something to celebrate. He came to give us peace, peace of mind. He came to give us forgiveness. He came at Christmas not just to be a little baby. He came to die. To die for your sins and for mine is the greatest love story literally ever written. And that's why thousands of years before you were even born, God knew that you were going to be here tonight. And I know that's kind of a mind bender, right? But he wanted to bring you here tonight so that he could get you to sit still long enough so that he could say this to you. I love you. I need you to hear him say that. I love you, he says. You matter to me, he says. I care about you, he says. I love you. I have loved you since you were first born. 
I thought you up. I watched you formed in your mother's womb. I saw you take your very first breath. I saw you in that very first cry. I saw you grow up. I saw the heartaches of you going through school. I saw the ups and downs and the broken relationships and the conflicts and the pain. I've been there in your highs and lows. There's been no minute in your life that I was not aware of. I have loved you and I will never stop loving you. And tonight he just calls out to you and he prays that you would celebrate this. He says, I want you to experience my love again. I want you to learn to love me again. And so he sends us Jesus. Guys, this is the rest of the story. And this is the purpose of Christmas. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you for tonight. We thank you for a night where we celebrate Jesus that we celebrate not just him coming as a baby in a manger, but that we celebrate his coming because it means we matter to God, that we matter to this creator of the world, that we're not just here going through the motions, but that God has a purpose for us. We celebrate that he loves us, that he cares about what we're going through in life right now. He sees the mess, either that we've made or other people have made of our lives, and usually it's a joint effort, but, but he still sends Jesus into that mess to restore and to heal and to forgive and to lift up and to give new beginnings. But he continues to come. He continues to call out to us. And so tonight we celebrate Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.